I kind of want to share with you guys, not necessarily my vision, not our leadership's vision, but today's about God's vision. Is what is it that God has in store for us as a church? Where is it, where is it that he's taking us as the body of Christ? Where is, he, where is it that he's taking us as his local representative in our community here in North Metro Denver, Northeast Denver? Because there's some great things on the horizon. During lunchtime today, I've asked several folks to step up and kind of share their memories of what brought them into church. So what are some things that in the past that they've seen how God has worked great things in and through their times over the past 30, 40, 50 years here at the church. Uh, then it's some of those who've come along just most more recently as well to share some of their blessings as well, things that they've seen God do. And kind of unite our two churches together under one common mission. To get to know one another, to work together, to see what has God got in store for us over the next 60 years. Now this year our church is 61, 62 years old. 61 years old sometime this year. I don't know the exact month and day that it was started, but 1958. So 61 years ago, some folks came forward and they sacrificed and they had a vision for what God wanted to do through this body in reaching the community. Some pastors came, some pastors went, members have come, members have gone. But over the course of time, the mission of the church has remained the same. Methods have changed. Personalities have changed. People were born and grew up in church. New people have come. But through it all, God has remained the same. His word has remained the same. His mission and His plan for the church the Big C Church has remained the same. And his mission and his plan for us has remained the same as well. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite characters is David, King David. Not because i am got the same name as him, but because he's called the man after God's own heart. And as I began studying that, looking at that years ago, it's like, what does that mean to be a man after God's own heart? That sounds great. God, I want to be a man after God's own heart. Here's King David he was a man after God's own heart, and yet he f- was a failed creature. We'd all admit that he kind of, he messed up. He was a major screw-up from time to time. Would you agree with that? He messed up royally from time to time. He, not only did he commit adultery, he was a murderer. He was a liar. He was not the kind of person you'd say, this is who I want to come and lead my people. And yet, through it all, David had a passion for the things that God was passionate about. He desired holiness in his own life. Even though he didn't live it out all the time, he desired to live a life that was pleasing to God. He hated sin. He sought to rid himself of it as well as to help others rid it in their own lives as well. He was passionate about the things of God. He was passionate about doing for his people what God wanted him to accomplish through him. He had a vision, a great vision, to expand his nation, to see God's name proclaimed 
in that land. Years later, as the Israelite people were taken into captivity, God sent Jeremiah along to remind them that even while they were in captivity, he was still going to use them. Seventy years they were going to be in captivity in Babylon. For 70 years, they were not going to see their nation. They were not going to see the land. Most of the people were going to die. Most people would never see their land again. And those that were going to see it wouldn't have ever seen it the first time. They would have been born and raised in that land. Jeremiah chapter 29. God sends Jeremiah along to remind the people that his vision for his nation, his vision for the nation of Israel was not just their vision because everybody's got a different idea of what they think God wants them to do. He said, you've got to keep an eternal mindset in place while you are here, while I'm preparing the land for you to go back. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning, verses 4 and following as we, we're going to take a look at this first part here and see what is it that God commanded the Israelites to do as they prepared their hearts and their minds to go back and take the land eventually. And then we'll break that down into what His plan is for us as the church. Verse 4 says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters a marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and may not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. What is it that he's telling the people to do here first? He's telling them to live their lives with eternity in mind. He's got you there. He's got them there in this land where they don't want to be. They much rather would much rather be back in Israel, right? Much rather be living their lives in Israel. And yet God tells them here, while you're here to the place where I've sent you, into exile where I've sent you, go ahead You're going to be here for a while, so build your houses. Live in them. Don't just live in them, but live in them. Make it a home, in other words. Enjoy the place where I've got you. Plant gardens. All the ladies go, yay! Plant gardens and eat the produce. You're going to be here for a while. Plant the gardens. Keep out the bugs. Grow good, yummy things and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage. They're going to be raised in this land. In other words, live well in the land where I have called you. And while you're living in that land, be intentional in reaching your neighbors. We've talked about in the past the five areas, the five intersections of life, right? Where you, wherever you work, shop, eat, play, and live. Those are the five intersections of life where we are supposed to live out the mission of God. 
Live out the mission of God. He tells the Israelites, you are here. You are supposed to be different. You're supposed to live your lives differently. Don't walk around this land in exile with your faces downtrodden. You're going, oh, I can't believe we're here. Live your life joyfully. Live your life to the fullest. Enjoy the life where I've got you and make a difference in this culture. Make a difference in the land where I've placed you. Intentionally be God's hands and feet to their neighbors. He says, seek out the welfare of the city. How many of us pray for our city? Thornton, North Glen, Brighton, Westminster. Um, I'm trying to think where else is right around here where people are from. Broomfield. I was trying to think there's like five cities where our, our, where our, where our people are, are located. Do you pray for your city? Do you pray for your city leaders? Do you pray that God will give them wisdom? Do you pray for the welfare of your city? I hope so. It's not just, oh man, I got to send me another tax bill. I'm praying God's hand comes down on them for raising my taxes. God's telling the Israelites, pray for the welfare of the city that you live. <coughs> pray that it increases in prosperity because when the city increases in prosperity, you will increase as well. Your welfare will be increased as well. Verse 7, he says, uh, da, 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 Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. These aren't evil people that are seeking our destruction. God has placed you in the city where you live for a reason. If you live in North Glen, Thornton, Eastlake, Broomfield, Brighton, Westminster, wherever, wherever God has you, pray for the welfare of that city because its welfare is our welfare. As our city is prosperous, our church will prosper. As our city prospers, our lives will be prosperous as well. So pray for our cities. Be good citizens. Pray for for God's blessings on its behalf. God's saying, you're going to be here for a while. Learn to enjoy where I've got you, right? If you're going to be on mission with God, if you're going to join God in his mission of reaching our community and our culture and those five different intersections, if we're going to be God's hands and feet in reaching our culture, we've got to not just see them as the enemy and view them as the conquerors, right? These are people that God has sent us to reach. He goes on in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. How hard is it for us to see that as part of our mission. See, God through Jeremiah is reminding his people that their time in Babylon is not going to be forever. But even there, he is with them. Our time in this life, our time in this world, our time right here in Denver area is not going to last forever. There will come a time when we will pass on to the next life. 
But God is with us right here, walking alongside of us. And while we are here, we are to remember these things, what he told the Israelites. While we are here making a difference in our land, pray. Pray. Verse 12 says, you need to come to me and pray. This is, then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. Make time for God. If you want to see your life successful, you want to see your life prosperous, you want to see your city be blessed and the welfare of your city increased, it starts on our knees. We need to make time for God. Make time understanding that it's not just us, but we make time for God to make a difference in those around us. Number two, we seek Him. Seek Him, discovering His real presence. In James, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We seek out the presence of God in our lives and in, around us. Not just enduring. I don't know about you guys, but I will, I will, when I'm driving my car, I love that God's presence is right there with me. And I talk to Him. I'm sure the people next to me think I'm singing a song or whatever, but I'm talking to God. My mouth is going... Homeschool moms, you have parent-teacher conferences with yourself and everybody thinks that you're just going crazy, but... I think that's what I'm doing in my car. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking to God. And everybody's like, what's he doing? If I was on a motorcycle, they'd really think I was crazy because they can't hear anything on a motorcycle, right? Seek him. Discover his real presence there in verse 13. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with what? With all your heart. With all your heart. We love the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, the Bible says. Do we seek Him with all that we are? Is his, are His desires our desires? Are His passions our passions? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And then lastly, He tells the Israelites, you need to repent. Repent. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and from all places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Only when he has their whole heart turning from their desires back to God's true purposes for them. See, many of us, for many of us, repent is a bad word. We don't like to repent. We want to just live our lives and not invite God in to change us. We're all about seeing change as long as it doesn't have to happen here. We're all about God changing that person or that person or that person, but none of us really want to change. But changing starts and seeing God work starts with us on our knees. starts with us coming to God and saying, God, I've messed up again. God, I've got this area in my life that I've not given fully over to you. You don't have my whole heart. If we want God to use us in a great and mighty way, we've got to let him have our whole heart. And that's hard. Because my heart's my own, I think. I don't want him to have my whole heart. Sometimes I like where my heart's at. Sometimes I like being selfish. I like having my own way. But true joy comes when we give God our whole heart. So that's what he's telling Israel. While you're there in that land, your mission, 
is to be my hands and feet to that nation that's there, to give yourselves over to me and to love me and let me have your heart. So what does that look like? What does that really look like then? Habakkuk 2.2 says this, And the Lord answered me and says, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Well, I didn't prepare any tablets this morning, but I prepared a screen. So we're going to look this morning at uh, God's vision. Number one, the mission of God for us to lead others to Jesus. We've mentioned this before. We've talked about this multiple times. In Matthew 28 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The last command of Jesus to his disciples, to the church, was to go, was to go, was to go and make disciples, leading others to him. What other greater passion is there? What other greater job is there than for us to lead others? To Jesus. He didn't say get them saved. He didn't say it's up to you to make them drink. You can lead a horse to the trough, but you can't make them drink, right? It's not up to us to make people drink or to force them to drink. It's up to us to gently lead them. To gently lead them to the Savior. And let Him change and transform their hearts to draw them into this relationship with Him. When we go to Mississippi, a lot of times we, we ride my father-in-law's horses. He's got about a dozen horses down there, and they've all got some cool names. And some of them like to rear up. Some of them are so stinking slow. You're like, come on, come on. You're beating it, you're beating it, you're beating it. And it, you jump off, and you're trying to yank on it. You've got the reins over your shoulder, and you're doing more work trying to lead this stupid horse down the trail than anything else. But as we jump off some of those horses and we're having to lead them through the, across the river or through the woods, we found that leading them by the reins, walking right next to them, showing them the way, speaking kindly to them, not punching them on the side of the neck or smacking them or anything else or speaking roughly to them, leading them gently has been the best way to get them to where from point A to point B so we can jump back up on and ride again. As we lead others to the Savior, how are we doing that ourselves? What's our attitude about it? Is it, man, I've got to do this? The pastor said, I've got to lead others to Jesus, so I'm going to go do it. I'm going to grab a track and throw them, throw it at you. There was a missionary who came across in South Korea, and he had special shirts made with big pockets. And he, as he's going through the airport, he's tossing tracks out to people, and he's driving down the road, and he's whipping tracks out the window saying, God bless this track, God bless this track. And I don't know how many people ever picked up those tracks and did anything with them. I know a lot of people followed behind him, picking them up and throwing them away and crumpling them. He was a little brusque in the airport as he met people. He was a little rough in his speech. as we lead people, as we talk to them, how are we doing it? See, our job is not to make them drink. Our job is not to get them saved. Our job is to take them and help them introduce them to Jesus. As we live our lives, we are to go. That's an imperative statement. That's not a question or a suggestion. That's an imperative statement. It's not open for interpretation. That is our job. That is part of our mission 
as we go, as you live your life in one of those five areas, workshop, eat, play, and live, wherever you are, we are to go and make disciples. Everyone is to take part in introducing the world's culture to Jesus' culture and seeing it transformed. As the Israelites were in Babylon, struggling under the oppression of the Babylonians, they were to also be making disciples. They were to also be reaching out into their community. They were to be a blessing in their community and let the world, let the Babylonians see God in them. As we live our lives, as we go on walks, as you go to King Supers or Safeway, wherever you travel, as you work, as you live your life at work, we are to let people see Jesus in us. It was the same command given to Abraham as they went into the promised land to be a blessing to that land, to share God with them so the whole earth will be blessed by the waving of the banner of the King of Kings. The whole earth will be blessed. In the nation of Israel, when it was in Egypt, there were banners all over the place. And so as the Israelites looked up, they could see the banner to this God and the banner to that God and the banner to this Pharaoh and to that Pharaoh. When God brought them out of Egypt, they were to raise the banner of Jehovah in the land where they were going. To say, we serve Almighty God. He is our banner. The banner over me is love, the song says. He is our banner. And we are to wave that banner and say, I love you. I'm gonna, I embrace you. Let's come alongside. Let me lead you to the Savior. Not coerce. Let me lead you to the Savior. Don't we have more to cheer for than any sports team? The Broncos season's getting ready to start soon. Rockies are going on right now. Have they started their downward turn yet this season? <laughs> happens every year doesn't it they start off good and then we, yet we still cheer for our team we still cheer for them because we support them they are our team no matter how bad they get we're still going to support that team I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio Cincinnati, the Reds have not had a winning season I can't remember when since the mid-70s, the last time I remember them having a winning season. But yet, when I see them play, I root for them because that's my team. As believers, we have more to root for in Christ than any sports team that's around us. We wear the colors of Jesus on our bodies. His blood shed for us. See, God has brought to the nations to Denver. We're talking about going and making disciples of all nations. God has brought the nations to Denver. We don't have to travel overseas. You know, we served overseas for 20 years. God took us to the nations, and now He's brought the nations here. They're moving in all around us. The nations, people who need Jesus, all around us are coming here with questions in their mind. What is it about you that is different? What is it about you that's different? I hope they're not saying, why aren't they different? God has brought the nations right to our doorsteps so that we should be able to share and lead them to Jesus. Number two, after we lead them to Jesus, we're to grow together in Jesus. Grow together in Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 20 says this, We teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always. 
We teach them, we teach them, we teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That means when people come and they, they are led to Jesus, when they come and they're experiencing the love of Jesus, they experience the love of the body of Christ. We come together, we come together, we come together to grow together. We talk about our life groups and how we are, life is done better together. We don't live better apart. We have the lunches together from time to time so that we can get to know one another, so we can grow together, so we can hurt when other people hurt. We can rejoice when they rejoice. We can be together as the body of Christ. And as we are united together as the body of Christ, the world sees that. Those who are outside see the unitedness of the body. And they yearn for what we have. Whether they want to admit it or not, they see our unitedness in one vision, one passion, one mission for God. And they, get, and they want to join to find out what makes us tick. Ephesians 4.12 says we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why do we come together for Bible study? Why do we come together to worship on Sunday mornings? Why do we come together for encouragement and accountability so that we can be built up and mature in our faith? As we grow together, as we grow together, maturing together, would you admit that all of us are on different levels spiritually? A lot of us, some have been believers for a long time. Some of you have been Christians a lot longer than I have. You know more, some of you know more about God's Word than I do. But you're the pastor, aren't you supposed to know everything? No, I'm still growing too. There's a lot I know, but there's a lot I don't know. That's why I keep studying. As we all mature together and we learn from one another and we grow together in Christ. What does that look like? It means learning in community together. It means coming together for corporate Bible studies. It means keeping one another accountable. It means having our daily quiet times and staying focused on eternity. It means making this a regular part of of your daily activity. Some people have a philosophy say no Bible, no breakfast. Get up in the morning, if you don't read your Bible, no, you don't have breakfast. Now it's not a weight loss plan. It means this book ought to be more important to you than filling this. This book, feeding your soul, ought to be more important than watching whatever's on the tube. Feeding your soul ought to be more important than checking your Facebook feed in the morning first thing. Reading this book and feeding your soul is more important even than spending that time with your spouse. This should be the first. God's your first. God's your first. He's your number one. Everything else is second, third, and fourth. So we're to lead others to Jesus. We're to grow together in Jesus. And lastly, we're to be equipped to serve one another. Equipped to serve one another. All those other things, they, they kind of come together so that we can then go out and be a blessing and to serve one another. Galatians 5.14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And then Paul has a sentence. He says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, that's not one word. Literally, when he says that you're fulfilled in one word, literally means the law summed up is serve one another in love. 
Literally, that's the literal translation. You serve one another in love. As we come together, as we grow together, we lead folks to Jesus. Let Him transform them and change their lives. Let Him get into them. They start spending time in God's Word and grow together for the purpose of serving one another here in the body of Christ, but also serving one another in our community. Remember, we're praying for the welfare of our city. God told the Israelites, you pray for the welfare of your city because this welfare is your welfare. As we grow we, as we grow together and walk alongside Christ as the body of Christ, we're to serve one another in love because as, as somebody else is served, we get blessed as well. As our community is served, we get blessed as well. As other people are lifted up and marriages are healed, we get blessed as well. As families are united and made stronger together, we get the blessing as well. Serving one another in love means putting my needs, my wants, my desires behind me and seeking the eternal purposes in everything. That's hard. Because I want what I want. And you want what you want. And sometimes those coincide with what God wants. But more often than not, those things don't. And we are at odds with what God wants, and we want to do what we want. I want to stay in bed a little longer. I want to hit that snooze, hit that snooze, hit that snooze one more time. But yet I'm commanded to get up and be engaged and involved in somebody else's life. setting my own needs, my own wants aside. Seeking out opportunities to love and serve. Not letting them just happen, but seeking them out. Looking around and finding your neighbor, finding that person you know is hurting and saying, I want to go and bless that person, be involved and engaged in what God is doing in their lives. This is what we do with our blood families, our own relatives, right? We are we love them. We look for ways to bless our families. I want, I want the best for my kids. I'm going to find, look for ways to bless them. I'm going to look for ways to help let them be encouraged. I love my mom and dad. I'm going to find ways to bless them and encourage them when we go down to visit. My mom's got a list of things for me to do. I can grumble and complain. Her computer's broken again, again, again. She's lost her button bar again. Uh, this is, she, her Kindle's not working again. It's like, Mom, haven't you figured this out yet? But instead, I look, I look at it as an opportunity to serve my mom because I love her. It's not a burden for me to take 10 minutes out of my visit or 30 minutes out of my visit or two days out of my visit in some cases to fix her computer problems walk alongside my dad and playing golf with him and, and enjoying conversation with him and helping him in the yard and finding ways to bless him? Do I do it out of obligation as his son? No, I do it out of love. He is my blood father. I want to bless him. I look for opportunities to serve him. In the same way in the body of Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Look for opportunities to serve one another. As we hear about things that come up, Maybe in a prayer request time. Maybe you're just over. Maybe you're eavesdropping on a conversation, and you hear about something, or maybe somebody says you hear from a third person, third party, fourth party, fifth party that so and so needs help. 
Take it upon yourself to go and serve and love that person. So the body of Christ, we are strengthened together because we are equipped to be equipped to serve one another. And in being equipped, understand that Sunday is just not enough. One hour on Sunday morning is not enough to be equipped to grow together. What about the other 167 hours of the week? What are we doing to serve? You have 168 hours every week. Every week, 168 hours. We're here for one, maybe two, maybe three if you're on one of the setup teams. Maybe 12 if you're on a setup team. I don't know. I don't know what time you'll get here in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. What do we do for the other 167? How are we looking for opportunities to serve, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities? And here in the body, what are we doing the other 167? I know some of that's taken up with work. Some of that's taken up with sleep. We've still got a lot of time left when we can be used by God in each other's lives to be a blessing to one another. Are we looking for opportunities to love and serve? Are we looking for those divine appointments to reveal themselves? I was in the car the other day and gave a ride to somebody and he started talking as, as we were driving and asked him where he's from. He's from Austin. I said, oh, I know, I know a guy who pastors a church on the north side of Austin. Where are you at? Oh, I'm on the south side. Well, great. Have you ever heard of Rock, Rock Point Church, right? He goes, no, I haven't heard of that. When I'm down south, I go to this other church. I said, were you involved in that church? Well, I go. Are you involved? No, but I need to be. And so I, as, as we're, before I dropped him off, I, I said, well, Tracy, do you mind if I pray for you? He's kind of taken aback. I told him I was a pastor up here. He knew that. And so that's what kind of sparked the whole conversation. And uh, he said, yeah, you can pray for me. So I just prayed that God would bless him. I prayed that his day would go well. I prayed that God would open up opportunities for him to serve in his church. And he'd get behind his pastor, get behind the leadership there. And he would throw himself into ministry there at that church. When we got done, he said, that was very encouraging. I'm going to go home and talk to my pastor. I'll never see him again. God put his life and my life together in an intersection in, the, in my car so that I could have a chance to speak into his life and encourage him to go back to his church and grow in his church, work together, heal his marriage. On and on it goes. Do we look for those divine appointments that God's going to thrust in our way during the other 167 hours of our week? Or are we so consumed with just living life and getting through life and going to work and putting in my 9 to 5 and putting in my 40, 50, 60 hours a week at work and just getting through work that I'm not aware of the city around me, how God wants me to bless the city and pray for the welfare of that city. Because as that city is blessed, we will be blessed. As we pray for the welfare of that city, we will be blessed as well. Because God wants to make a difference in our community and in our lives as well. With that in mind, our, our leadership team, we've been meeting and praying and working together for the past couple months. I know we, we 
took a vote back in May 5th or 3rd, whatever that Sunday was. We voted to take on a whole new structure and make a whole new focus. And that's kind of what today is about to say, here's where we are going as a church. Here's what we're doing as a church. This is the direction that we're going. We, we believe that we as a body of Christ, that we as Mount State Baptist Church, we exist to lead others to Jesus, to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus. Not just to live, but so that we might be equipped together to serve together. That is what we are about. That is what's going to drive us. That is what we are passionate about. Not because that's our passion, but because this is God's passion. To lead others to Him. Help them grow in grace, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is as we grow together as the body of Christ. Not just for knowledge's sake, but so that we can be equipped to serve together and around our communities. So that we can be a blessing. Not just so we exist as a building on two and a half acres at 132nd in Colorado. But so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Wherever we work, shop, eat, play, and live. I'm excited about that. So that means all of our ministries, all of our focus, all of our energies are going to be looking at how God might use us to be a blessing to all those around us. That means that our lives are are not about us and our preferences, our desires. Our lives are about God. Our lives are about seeking God first. Our lives are about increasing in knowledge and growing together in who God is. Our lives are about reaching our community and reaching those around us and taking these little tracks, taking these little cards that we've got all hanging out around here and saying, you know what? You look like you're having a tough day. Why don't you come and worship with us on Sunday? You look like you're having a tough week. Why don't you come and join us? We'd love to come and be an encouragement to you. I know you're having a tough time. Here's my pastor's name and number. Why don't you give him a call? You don't have to know all the answers. God doesn't expect us to know all the answers. That's why we have a lifetime to learn. But we can put them and people in touch with others who do know some of the answers. We've got some incredibly knowledgeable people in our church who passion is to know God's Word inside and out. We've got some incredibly loving people in this church. If you're not a loving person, connect them with somebody who is. If you're not a people person, connect them with somebody who is. There's a reason why God gave us all different gifts, right? He's made us all different for a reason. Because in our communities, everyone out there is made different as well. Not everybody's going to look like me, think like me, act like me. Not everybody's going to look like Tori, act like Tori, think like Tori. Not everybody's going to look like Ken, think like Ken, like Ken, act like Ken. But you can find somebody, and God's going to connect you with somebody that connects with you so that you can then take them, lead them to Him, help them to grow in their knowledge of who He is and his desire to change them, and then help them to be equipped to serve in the future as well. 
If you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as we close this morning, have Drew come on, come on up. It's hard. Change is hard, I know. Changing vision is hard, but really, this is the same vision it's always been, just repackaged a little differently.